Hi, this is a quick heads up that this podcast will contain a variety of spoilers for a variety of seasons of Survivor. This episode in particular contains deep dives into Survivor's Cook Islands, Micronesia, South Pacific, Game Changers, but also includes spoilers about winners and gameplay for seasons up to and including season 40. So this is just a blanket spoiler alert. Everybody, 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 drop your Hi, welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I'm Evan Ross Katz. Hi, Evan. Hi. We have an exciting show today. Truly, truly. We have our first legendary Survivor guest. Who is it, Evan? It's Ozzy. And you know, when you and I like first started chatting about this show, we were really excited at the prospect of like being in conversation with former players. But I think it was important for both you and I to be super discerning about who those players are. I think the Survivor verse tends to like pump up certain figures, some deservedly so, um, but there are some sort of fallen comrades, if you will. I'm not putting Ozzy in that category specifically, but I'm just saying that like we're hoping to chat with people who might get some shine, but our intent is either they don't get enough shine or they need more shine. And I would say Ozzy Cat. Ozzy falls into the latter category. and uh, Well, yeah. I mean, what we said in episode one was that we have a bias towards the early seasons. Ozzy isn't so early. He's a little bit more... I mean, he's verging towards middle school, but I, he, I do consider him old school. And in fact, the two times that he plays, the first two times in Cook Island and in Micronesia, I would say are the is the golden era of the show. Mm -hmm. uh, the sort of 10 to 20 seasons and being an absolute bona fide survivor legend from this time period I think it's going to be really interesting to get his insight on what was going on during those seasons because I personally knew a lot more about the early seasons what was going on behind the scenes what was left on the cutting room floor than I do about these golden age as I'm calling it seasons which I actually appreciate more so this is the era that I'm the most interested in and almost uh, know the least about behind the scenes so I think it's going to be really interesting to talk to him and find out maybe what didn't make the show what happened after the show uh, what his relationship like uh, was like with Amanda. I think there's a lot of juicy stuff to get into with Ozzy. Totally. And I think the fact that he played in the teens, the 20s, and the 30s. Um, you know, you mentioned he played originally in the Golden Age. I totally agree. And then comes back in the 20s, which is arguably the darkest age. Again, I haven't seen the late 30s, so maybe I'm sure it might go dark again. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that season 21, 22, 23, 24, even some would say we would disagree. But uh, we, you and I are aligned in the fact that we think One World is underrated by far. But he's in that, those 20s. Back again in the th 34 for Game Changers, not my favorite season. Um, and so what was fun about this interview was, to your point, like, yes, totally a legend, but I think often um, 
newer fans of the show probably know him best from South Pacific and from Game Changers um, when correct me if you feel differently, but I feel like his first two uh, tries at the game are by far his most interesting plays, just because, as you mentioned, they're two of the best seasons ever, and Mm -hmm. Ozzy's blindside in Micronesia, I mean, Jeff Probst likes to use the word blindside a lot, Um, you know, maybe one-tenth of the time, it deserves such, such such a word to describe it, and Ozzy is one of those ten times, I mean, it is just a masterful blindside and it's fun that he likes to talk about it and 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 isn't like bitter about it yeah 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 exactly and i'm really excited to hear his perception of what has changed from season 13 to season 34 because he's been around for a lot of changes he's been around to watch like the strategy change the challenges change jeff change so i'm really curious to hear what he has to say about all of that so let's waste no more time introing him let's get straight to it this is ozzy Ozzy Luss was a 24-year-old waiter from Venice Beach when he competed in Survivor Cook Islands as part of the I2 Taki tribe in the summer of 2006. He made an impact early in the game when he convinced his tribe to throw the second immunity challenge so that they could vote Billy out. On day seven, a tribe swap landed him in a new I2 Taki, which included Sandra Oakley, Becky Lee, and Yuo Kwan, who together with Ozzy would become known as the I2-4 Alliance. After a series of losses and a mutiny by Candace Cody and Jonathan Penner, the remaining I24 beat all the odds and went on to dominate the season, with Ozzy winning five out of the six post-merge immunity challenges. Ozzy made it to the final tribal council, he faced the jury, and he lost the title of sole survivor to Yule by just one vote. Ozzy returned to the game three seasons later for Survivor Micronesia, Fans vs. Favorites, and he quickly aligned with Amanda, Parvati, James, and Sari, an alliance which would carry them all to the merge. Ozzy and Amanda did more than just strategize together, developing a relationship while on the island. And early in the game, Ozzy found the hidden immunity idol on Exile Island, and using a fucking stick, fashioned a fake idol to plant in its place. This would later become the first fake idol to ever be played at a tribal council. On day 27, Ozzy became the first victim of the Black Widow Brigade Alliance, getting voted out with an idol in his pocket. It's an elimination that is still considered one of the greatest blindsides in Survivor history. At the final Tribal Council, Ozzy criticized Parvati's ruthless gameplay, and he voted for Amanda to win. Season 23 saw the return of Ozzy alongside Coach for Survivor South Pacific, where he competed on the Savai tribe alongside John Cochran and Don Meehan. Once again, he found a hidden immunity idol early in the game and made a risky move on day 18 when he volunteered to be sent to Redemption Island in order to take Christine Shields from the opposing tribe out of the game. His plan worked and he returned to the game only to be voted out again after Cochran flipped on his tribal alliance. Ozzy returned to the game once more at the final five, but was voted out for the third and final time, just short of making it to the final tribal council. And in the end, he cast one of the six votes that gave icon Sophie Clark the win. 11 seasons later, Ozzy returned for the fourth and final time so far, this time to play against 
an all-star cast for Survivor Game Changers. He continued his legacy as a challenge beast by helping his tribes avoid tribal council for the first 16 days, and at his first tribal of the season, he participated in voting off the legendary Sandra Diaz-Twine for the first time in Survivor history. On day 24, Ozzy was voted out of the game after Debbie led a move to blindside him. At the final Tribal Council, Ozzy championed for Brad Culpepper to win, criticizing Sarah Lucina's social game, and he cast one of three votes for Culpepper to win, though Sarah won out in the end. Ozzy is the only contestant to have made the merge four times. He's tied the record for individual immunity wins in a single season. He's been voted out of the game more times than any other player in Survivor history, he was voted the most popular player of Cook Islands, and he won the fan favorite award in South Pacific. He's a legend. He's an icon. Welcome to the show, Ozzy. Hey, thank you. <laughs> How does it feel hearing all of that back? <sighs> uh, it's it's wild because it just brings back all these memories that you know as you go through and you start talking about it, a lot of the statistics that I didn't know about or I don't think about very often come up. So it's just, it's cool, you know. I There's definitely some regrets in there. Um, some things that I wish I had done differently from probably the first thing you said where, you know, I threw the challenge to get Billy out. That's still one of the biggest regrets that I have in Survivor. Um, and then, you know, the just every single season, obviously there's lots of regrets because I never won, so. I'm always looking, I was yes. always looking at like things that I could have done differently, but it's also just cool to, you know, hear the, I think that my style of gameplay is the only style that could have led to, you know, being voted out most times and making it to the merge every time, but, you know, never winning. It's really just, I've always played where I just want to enjoy as much as possible and maybe to a fault, not being as, uh, in tune with like really just wanting to win over anything else. Mm. I'm curious how in the loop you are about the survivor verse, because as, as I think you remember, I am like new to all of this. I just started at the beginning of quarantine. I just finished game changers now, as I let you know. Um, but I, my perception is that there are certain survivors that are very much stay within the community, tweet about the show constantly. I don't see you as being that type, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, tell me, like, are, are, are you interacting with former players? How much is this a part of your life still? Well, it's funny, I, I kind of, I don't know if it was on purpose, but I, I, I sort of distanced myself during the last, since I was first on it, up until fairly recently, I really distanced myself from survivor stuff. And it wasn't because I didn't, wasn't interested or didn't want to, it just so many interests, so many things going on in my life. And it just didn't seem to be one of those things that, that I really put a lot of attention to. Um, but more and more, I think as obviously as I'm getting older and start feeling like maybe the survivorship has sailed, there's a lot more nostalgia and there's a lot more of that like, oh yeah, I really, you know, really had such a great time and it was so fun and it was really an enjoyable experience. And I have a very specific um, viewpoint that not many people who've ever played or will play have. So 
you know, more and more I enjoy the reputation that I have, the, the, the history, but, you know, I have kind of like, there was a period of time after my first season that it was hard for me to watch because of the regret. And then there was a period of time after my third season, South Pacific, that again, it was hard to watch because of the regret. Um, even though I was really proud of the way I played in that season specifically over probably over any of the other ones. But, you know, I, I think it's a really amazing community and the people that are more heavily involved in it are, you know, they've, they've, there's a lot of people that have been able to carve out livelihoods and it's, it's pretty amazing. You know, people like Rob who have a business, you know, that thrives and it's, you know, keeps going and it's all based off of this, this community. So, you know, it's something that I'd like to participate more in going forward, but I also don't think I was really that good of a player. I just kind of played in a way that was a little bit hard for people to grasp or just got me far, but you know, never got me the win. So again, I'm going to say yet, uh, because I, I am hopeful for your inevitable eventual victory. Um, but let me ask you this much because I want to go reverse chronological because yeah. I just watched game changers. And one thing that I was struck by that I said to Sean throughout was just, it was a very odd cast to me. There were actual like legends of the show, Sandra, Suri, yourself, and then Tony, you know, you know, but then there were a lot of people that just were more random, you know, uh, Haley being a great example. I'm curious when you got to Ponderosa and you looked around at that room of 20 contestants and found out, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you guys found out at Ponderosa that, that the theme was going to be Game Changers. What did you make of this assemblage of survivors? Yeah, like you, I I don't think I quite understood some of the choices that, that were made on people that came back because I don't, I don't really think that some, you know, some people really did too much in their respective games to change the game per se. But I also think that, you know, sometimes the producers reach for things creatively because it's the way that they tie the season together. And, uh, you know, I, I can't say what it is about, you know, game changers being, you know, whatever they were spitballing, they were like, okay, well, this is the best idea we have for this season, so it's going to be game changers. I don't know if that was the case, but they might have just like, you know, maybe 75% of us were sort of fitting in that type, and then they were just like, well, let's just go with it. But I do agree with you. I think that there was, you know, that was a little bit of a, a reach. Um, I appreciate being called a game changer for sure. Yeah, I think you are a game changer. And another game changer who was out there was Sari. Oh, yeah. And it was really interesting to see the two of you play together again, because uh, the last time you had played with Sari was 18 seasons prior in Micronesia. And there's this really interesting moment at the beginning of the game where Sari is uh, very worried about you holding a grudge against her for your blind side in Micronesia. Um, so... Was that a legitimate concern from Sari? Like, do you hold a grudge against her for any of her gameplay uh, prior? Or is that like bygones at that point? No, I never held a grudge against Sari. I think that Sari is just, she's a phenomenal player. She's one of those people that I think is, you know, more than anyone who's never won the game, even more so than myself. I think she's one of those people that really deserves to win, should have won. She's proven time and time again that she's got the like social strategic skills to 
goes so incredibly far, and she's so perceptive and observant, and she just is an amazing player. Uh, she's somebody that I wish I had an ounce of her ability. I think I would have could have won the game many times, but you know, she at that time, everybody coming back is like worried about everybody, you know. And so, yeah, I think that at that time, her worry was probably based off of just you know just like her her thought process that is so smart that she goes through all of these like like playing chess she goes through all these different moves and she looks at okay well if he thinks this then this mean this this is how i gotta play if he doesn't think this i'll play like this and 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 she probably thinks that for everybody so the funny thing is is more than anyone like i mean i've totally i had totally let go of game uh fans versus favorites long before going out to game changers and the only person that I really could have held a grudge against would maybe be Amanda um, but I feel so you know she kind of screwed herself over because she didn't she didn't tell the truth in final tribal and that's one of the reasons why she didn't win the game really she was the architect of my demise and Sari and, and Parvati really took credit for it um, at that time but and obviously they were part party to the decision but it was Amanda's it was Amanda who brought it up I was like let's do this so the only person that I really and she didn't bring it up because maybe she thought that we were gonna salvage a relationship or she didn't want to hurt me or whatever and I feel so bad for her because I think that not only is she her public speaking is is suffers whenever you know she gets put under pressure and she just could not get a straight thought out and it hurt her so bad because she did play great games. She did have this social ability and she got to the end, you know, a few times and was sitting there, but everybody would just talk her, talk around in circles around her. And she just sounded like a, like a dummy. Cause she just would, she, something would happen to her. She's like a, I don't know, learning disability or just some sort of like stage fright or something. So I really feel like at that point, you know, just to go all the way back around, you know, she would have won that game if she, or would have gotten a lot closer if she had been honest and been like, yo, it was, it was me that, that voted you out and maybe I'm getting feelings for you, but you know, this is a game and I hope you forgive me, but I got your ass out. And you know, that would have like maybe switched some people's minds about her, her style or not. So just to come back to Sari, nah, she, she, I just wish that I would have like trusted her a lot more than I did. And you know, we had a great time. It was, it was an awesome, we were, you know, together, me, Zeke, Andrea, Sari, and Troyzan on, ah, oh, I can't remember the name of that tribe. <laughs> I don't know why I can't remember that. Nuku? What is it? Nuku? Tavua? Tavua. One of the two. Yeah, Tavua. it was Tavua. It was Tavua. Yeah, we had so much fun and it was such good memories. And I just, you know, Sari played such an amazing game and just happened to be the most unlucky survivor player that season, you know, that crazy... Everybody had like idols. Some people had two idols. I don't know. Everybody's playing idols, and she's the only one who doesn't have an idol. She gets voted out. Bullshit to me. Well, I want to get your thoughts on Ceri's exit from Game Changers because, like you say, it it was bullshit. And Ceri has this is not the first time Ceri has been fucked over in an end game twist. Uh, you look at Micronesia and the the surprise final two. But particularly with this one, this one really grinds my gears because everybody who wasn't Sari got lucky with an advantage or an idol of some kind. And 
Sari is one of the greatest social players, like you say, of this that this game has ever seen. And for her to go out because she wasn't lucky or didn't spend enough time turning over rocks just seems wrong. So I was just wondering like what you thought in that moment watching that. Did you uh, just feel for her that this is just a casualty of the game? Or did you think like maybe maybe there's too many advantages here? There was too many advantages at that point. The decision for the producers to put that many advantages in the game and not have there be more um, like like deadlines for advantages to be used and have them all build up to that one part. Like hopefully they learn their lesson because to lose Sari in that way, it hurts everybody. It, it, it hurts the game. It hurts the, 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 the general, like the twists. It, it just created a really crappy environment and we were all felt so bad for her. And I, I still to this day think that, you know, she made it past that vote. There's a, there's a pretty strong likelihood that she would have made it to the end and went and won. I don't really see where else she would have been at fault just because of that. Um, so, you know, I hope that that does make change the game a little bit. And I hope that she gets another opportunity. She deserves it. If she doesn't get an opportunity to play the game, I hope she gets an opportunity like what Sandra and Rob had, where they were like, you know, the island of the idols, or they're like helping people along. You know, she deserves to be involved in the community uh, in another way, shape, or form. Like, I would even, I mean, hell, if she, she took, she could take Jeff's place. I mean, she's that, she's that, she's that interesting. She has those, that many stories. And she really, really represents to me somebody who's like grown so much, but also like retains her, her identity. And, you know, she can make anybody laugh. And she just is so like, she's got that, She's got that quick wit to her that not a lot of people have. Like, I definitely don't have it when I'm out there. Like, I sound like an idiot a lot of the time. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just I just really hope that, that that makes the game a little bit different in, in that how many advantages they let sort of play out throughout the game. Because, you know, sometimes it, the hidden meteorite is good and, like, the way that they do it is good, but that was just happened to be a perfect storm of just too many. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, one of the players that you mentioned that you were on a tribe with is the great Andrea. Andrea's been one of my favorite modern players, and when I told her that you and I would be speaking today, she said that she had a question for you. Oh. I guess I don't have a ton of Ozzy questions. I love Ozzy, by the way. I just think he's so sweet. I would be curious, because I don't know if I ever asked him, but... What was his plan in Game Changers in terms of who was he wanting to go to the end with and what did he feel was his actual alliance? I mean, I know that there was a it was a really confusing time after the merge and I didn't know if Ozzy was with me. I couldn't tell. We did find out later that we were together, <laughs> but I think neither of us, we had trouble trusting each other, unfortunately. And I think if we played again, Ozzy and I would work together. At least I would love to work with him. So ask him if he would work with me. <laughs> But in all seriousness, both Andrea and then Eliza Orleans, who I spoke to in advance of our interview today, uh, had such glowing things to say about you. I just want to mention the fact that like former players of this game regard you as such a great human being. And I do not think that that is something that many people would say about many players in this game, because this is a game of a cutthroat nature. And I think there's something to be, to be said about how beloved you are. 
But yes, to Andrea's question, I am just curious, like, and along with her, what was your end game? Who did you see your ideal final three being? So just to go back, I definitely did trust Andrea to a certain extent. Like, I wasn't quite sure whether or not, you know, you know, it was just really, t- it was really tough to trust at that point. I felt like we did a pretty good job of bonding when we were on uh, Tavua, and same thing with Zeke. But Zeke, like I really, I really felt like I could trust him and Andrea, and I thought Sarah as well. Um, and my my ideal though, because I felt like Brad and I were gonna were gonna be able to work really well together and go to the end. And I was just hoping that Brad would be egotistical enough to want to take me to the end and beat me in the end, like, you know, a true, like, red-blooded American Republican football player, lawyer, money-grubbing, Trump supporter should. I guess I just answered my question. No, he's, he, he ended up being a coward. And You voted you know, for him. He, I know, because I was an idiot. <laughs> so stupid Uh, wait i want to digress real quick though just because you mentioned trump supporters and so this joe character who is compared to you in his later seasons i'm gonna ask you the question that i'm probably not supposed to ask but i'm just curious he uh was sharing conspiracies around uh trump's uh excuse me around biden's win saying that trump won the election um and it's believed by many from the reddit posts that i have scrolled through that he is a member of QAnon. and just as someone that is often compared to you in the game i'm just wondering if you have any thoughts about joe i think the man is brainwashed i do i i just think that it's really it's really sad when people use their platform of he's got, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of followers that look up to him. And sure, you can believe whatever you want to believe. But when you're spreading such such obvious false narratives, not only about I mean, it was it was back when it was QAnon. He started I started reading these posts and I was like, what the hell is going on with this guy? And I had to I had to stop following him. Because it's one thing to be like, okay, I'm Mr. Religious and like Jesus Christ loves everybody and like that's great. But when you start saying that, you know, that the Democrats are a bunch of, you know, blood-sucking evil pedophiles, like all that is going to do is create, end up creating these, this, this violence that ends up happening. So look, a man like Joe who's got a platform like that, I think is in some way, shape or form, has some responsibility to what happens when people commit violence against other people. You know, like it or not, you know, that was one of the other things that I don't think a lot of people, it was actually super funny, just to go to a little funny story. So at the end of Game Changers, after the votes have all been cast and we all go to Ponderosa and Sarah and Brad showed up was there was there three people uh troy zan and troy yeah so everybody the votes are cast and everybody obviously i was big brad's like champion because i just i just thought he'd played a great game in the physical only he was such an asshole and so annoying the whole entire time i feel i regret that i really do regret that voting for him um but sarah shows up puts on her trump hat and everyone's like oh oh wait we just, Sari, like Andrea, they're like, wait, we just did this. No, 
can we can we take that back? <laughs> it didn't matter. Trump. I mean, uh, um, at that point, Brad and uh, Sarah, they're both. Yeah, they're both. I didn't really know. I mean, I figured he's a you know a lawyer from from Florida and a and a and a football player. Whatever. I get my mouth. My mouth gets me in trouble. Has got me in trouble before on Survivor talking about politics and my like pretty progressive beliefs and I'm very much I get I just get myself in trouble so when it comes to somebody like Joe I just feel it just feels really gross to me because he is seemingly such a good guy and does have this like big heart and does have this like energetic beautiful spirit but then when you're like going on and on about you know these conspiracy theories that are just so obviously false and dangerous it's super just disheartening and it, and it, and it just, I feel, I don't know. I feel just bad for him. And, and I, I pity the, like the place he's at that he can't see truth. He can't distinguish between truth and lies. Yeah. One thing that I am always amazed at is how survivor seems to be able to um, really bring whatever issues are happening in, in our country. It brings it right to the forefront, you know, things like, you know, uh, Zeke being outed on, on TV to like, you know, a lot of other, a lot of other, you know, we had in, in Cook Islands, for example, the, the diversity was somehow controversial the way they framed it. And they framed it in a way to get viewers, but that was like the most diverse cast. And then they like immediately go away from it and just, it gets completely whitewashed again. But those kinds of things are, are to me are, are, are always intriguing. So things like this, we've got this, this uh, cross section of America, and of course, you got these really charismatic people like Joe that are then just like QAnon, Trump, blah, you know. I, it just it it is. This is America. This is the America that we live in, and we just have to, you know, you have to accept. Like I've got friends that are super right wing Republicans. They don't necessarily believe the QAnon stuff, but they're like, yeah, Trump. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm just let's just never talk about politics. Like I know you're you you feel that way, but like. I do value your friendship and just, I hope you, you know, let's just like, we'll just keep that somewhere else for now. The funny thing though is having just, you know, met Joe, me personally, several seasons ago on this show, I loved him so much. And then I was voice memoing with Sean here because we, we talk in real time as I'm watching it because he watched it when it originally aired. So I'm watching it. I'm falling in love with Joe. And then I come to learn all of this. And I imagine a lot of viewers have that same association with loving him so much on the show. And I think other people perhaps are not as or are more easily impressionable than I am and might look at someone like him and be like, he's such a hero. He believes this and continue on that path. You mentioned another groundbreaking moment on the show, which was Zeke being outed as transgender by the villainous and disgusting Jeff Varner. Uh, you were present for that moment. Okay, so I have to say, I just watched this moment for the very first time. When you and I did our last interview for Paper Magazine, I had not seen Game Changers. I knew of this moment, but I had not witnessed it. I have to say, I was so impressed with you and Andrea and Ty, even Republican Sarah, uh, I, just the whole tribe, Debbie, uh, handled that moment really, really well. I'm curious, what did we not see that took place in that moment? Because I have to imagine a lot went down that was edited out. For sure. It was a really long tribal. One of the ways that they uh, mark time, w w ways that you understand how much time is going on, is they have to change tapes. 
right? So they probably changed tapes like five times. And we went over this and over this and over this so many times. And you saw the most explosive parts of the, um, the experience. But after it was done and the cat was let out of the bag, and then there was this sort of like realization, because I don't think that even Varner back against the wall trying to scrape and, you know, do whatever he could to stay alive said what he said without fully thinking of what the ramifications were going to be later on. And as we start talking more and more, I think he really started to realize and really then started to things started to sink in because Jeff's like, look, this, it's not, we can't go backwards now. Like this is happening. So we're going to deal with it. And Zeke, eventually you're going to have to have these hard conversations with people family, friends, whatever, America, people know now. Um, so a lot of that, it was, it was kind of painful, but there was a lot of support too. And I don't know. I was just, I was really impressed with how Zeke handled it because I personally, I had no idea. I had no idea. Like I, we talked a lot about our sex lives. I was really interested in, in, in his sex life and partying and, just, you know, what, just, I don't know. We, we, we got along really well. We were, we were quite friendly and I don't know. I never really just didn't cross my mind at all. So I was so surprised. And then like going through all those emotions of like, wow, what would that feel like to be this major secret be exposed on to millions of people? I just, I was so impressed with him and I just couldn't, you know, I can't say enough about how, how much strength that has and how much sense of humor he Absolutely. had about it. Can I ask you one other question about it real quick? We yeah. saw a very compassionate edit in that everyone at that tribal council was very supportive of Zeke. Yeah. But I noticed in the next episode when he was telling the other tribe, or, the, or yeah, because the, the merge then happened, he was telling the other tribe, we didn't see certain castaways in that conversation. And I'm just curious, was there anyone who was less compassionate about that moment and who saw Zeke differently as a result of his coming out? You know, I don't think so. Um, there could be. But I don't know. I just, after the 20 some three weeks that we all kind of spent together at that point, I think that everybody just, you know, you're just a, another person. You're not really, uh, you're not really this like label of like, what were you? What are you? What's your, I think that if anyone, Brad probably had some, maybe not so like politically correct things to say, but I can't even remember that. I don't, I really don't remember that at all. I think everybody was just like, Varner, you are an idiot. Like, what, what are you thinking here? How, in what world do you think this is going to get you another shot? In what world do you think that you're somehow going to like win your way back into the fold by exposing this thing that is not yours to ever, you know? So I don't know. I don't, if there was things like that that happened, I wasn't really privy to it or I don't remember. I just was still like, couldn't even believe that he would have done that, you know? And I don't know whatever happened with the fallout for that, or I'm not sure what, what happened to him. I think he got fired, but I don't, I don't know what, I'm not sure what happened to him and I'm not sure how he is, how's, how he's doing now. And in that, in that tribal, am I correct in assuming that Varner was actually going to go? Because in the episode, 
they were trying to make it a Varner Aussie. Maybe Aussie's going to go. Maybe everyone's going to flip on Aussie. And and in that sense, it felt like, oh, why is he even pulling this out? But he had to have been going, right? It was my understanding that there was no real if ands, or buts about it, that he was just the one to go. Who knows if if maybe he had played his cards a little differently and he hadn't said anything about that to Zeke, maybe there's a chance he could have gotten them to flip on me. I don't know, but once he said once he said that then it was it was all over for him. He said the exact wrong thing. Yeah. Well, I want to move back in time a little bit to South Pacific. Actually, I guess South Pacific and Micronesia, because you've played twice now against a newbie cast or a partially newbie cast. And particularly with South Pacific, where you returned uh, with coach two tribes of otherwise new players. Do you think or did you experience some like inherent advantage in being a returning player or, or is there a flip side to that where there's a disadvantage? Because, uh, you know, in the beginning of South Pacific, we saw contestants say, well, they're not real players and we're going to get rid of them as soon as we can. Uh, so just want to get your thoughts on playing against a cast of new, care, new uh, players. Yeah, it was for me, it was tough because I think that the tribe that I was on with Cochrane and uh, specifically with Jim, Jim and Keith, and then to some extent Cochran, um, I think they all, more so Jim, Jim really was like driving a lot of the decisions at that time. Um, and I think he really screwed his tribe over by taking these unnecessary risks and voting people out in, in weird, weird ways um, and not trusting me and not like giving me the sort of, the opportunity to build a strong alliance because I, I think that Jim, Keith, Whitney, Elise, uh, who else was it? Even Cochran to some extent, Semhar. Like we could have had a really strong tribe and we could have done really well against, what was the name of the other tribe? I just call it Coach's Tribe. I can't remember. But This is one I don't even remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I guess I've been on so many tribes, I somehow sometimes forget them. But, I mean, the fact that you just remembered that many players from that season, I'm very impressed. I know, it's like... <laughs> I mean, so here's the thing, like Jim just fancied himself the puppet master. And so he started to dismantle our, you know, he started to dismantle the tribe in a way that I think didn't make much sense. And we took some hard losses. And then when it came down to it, Cochran really saw that he was on the bottom because they, you know, they, they didn't really treat him very well. Um, and he saw his opportunity to flip over to the other tribe. And when we merged and we were even, and there was an opportunity to potentially do, you know, he was the, the agent of change. And he saw, Cochran then saw his power. And because of that, it was just such a, the, the game escaped from my, my side, my tribe. And at that point, as soon as Cochran flipped, you know, I knew I had a pretty rough go of it. But I would always... From the time when the that season first started and we knew the twist of Redemption Island, I was kind of banking on that as being my plan B. So I was just going to play as hard as possible, do whatever I could, you know, try and make some big moves. And if I couldn't retain a majority control uh, going into the merge, that, you know, at least I would have the opportunity to fall back on Redemption Island. But... You know, it's just so, it's such a shame because I think that we had a really strong tribe, but, you know, it was just so much, so much more fragmented. It wasn't, 
And <laughs> to be honest, Coach did a great job being a cult leader. He really was able to feel the like Christian, new wave Christian kind of like let's uh, let's all like turn this survivor game into Sunday school, which was all because of Brandon Hans, to be honest. Like mm-hmm. he was so so about like flaunting his religion that you know he would pray before every uh, challenge and so coach like he like saw that and he was like okay here's a chance to like let's turn this into like you know christian camp and i know that sophie then you know she obviously did not buy into that but she she was smart she's smart she just went along with it same thing with uh with albert i imagine he probably didn't really care that much but Brandon was so adamant about it that, you know, coach used it to his advantage. But the thing about coach was he just didn't see at the very end, all he had to do is tell the truth and everybody would have voted for him over Sophie that he had played a really great game in my opinion. It just, and I tried to give him enough softballs in the end. Um, and he, I mean, he got so damn bitter at me. He like basically, blames me for or he did blame me for losing that game um even though in final tribal i was like dude i'm gonna throw you a softball tell the truth tell everybody that you did that you know you're a liar that you told people what they want to hear that you're not maybe not this like man of god that you say that you're not a righteous whatever it is whatever your spiel is just come clean like people it's okay you know you lied and that's fine that's what that's what everybody does and he just maintained and maintained and he just really like stuck to his story. And so that's why everybody was like, you know what, screw you. We're going to give it to somebody who kind of like rode, rode in on, on, on coaches coattails. And then Sophie was smart in that way. If I was her, I would have done the same thing. Coach is this big giant character. He's making all these big moves, making all these big promises, speaking the world to it, but really like wearing the, that, like, you know, wearing a cult leader robe. And so when she saw that rift happening, she was able to capitalize. It's so interesting to hear you say that because it's kind of exactly what you said about uh, Amanda losing Micronesia. It's just not owning the game and not being honest. And I feel like the tri- the last tribal council is really your opportunity to come forward and say, you know, I, I played you in certain circumstances and here's where those circumstances were. And so often when you see people not do that, like Amanda, like coach, they lose. Um, I think it's quite interesting that you voted for Sophie because you had up until then quite a rocky relationship with Sophie. Um, There's that sort of long tribal council where you call her a spoiled brat and then she cries. And I feel like that's really her redemption arc in that season is like sort of climaxing in that moment. (laughs) Your face right now. (laughs) Uh, So I'm just wondering, like, did you vote for Sophie really uh, as a vote against coach or were there other things in her game that you said, okay, all of that aside, spoiled Brad aside, I think you should win? Yeah, there it was multi-part. It, it was probably first and foremost a vote against Coach. I just think that Coach could have sealed the deal with the way that he spoke in Tribal Council. And I think I was also just really disappointed in Coach because of the way that he talked about, you know, before getting to that point, he talked about how, you know, he wanted to play this specific game, this game of honor, this game of the best against the best, me and him sitting at the end together, really like letting people decide who played a better game. And 
I really kind of believe that it would have been really close. I think that if Coach had followed through with what he said and sort of highlighted his resume up to that point of being in the dominant, you know, maintaining a dominant control throughout the game, you know, sending me to exile, having me fight back. Like, I think he could have easily proven that I had shit strategy. And I think he could have really made a case that he deserved to win against me and that winning against me means more than anything else at that point because we're the two returning players. So when he took, when he took the easy way out, per se, it sort of reminds me a lot of what happened with Natalie in season 40. So Natalie had an opportunity to really seal the deal. She had gone done a fire-making challenge. She could have booted Tony. Would have been her sitting there like, yo, I just proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that I deserve to be here because I took the biggest chance I possibly could have taken. And, you know, sure, it may not, might not have worked, but because I took that big chance, now I'm sitting here, you know, against these other people and I, I think I got a chance to win. So I think that, that that really hurt her. I think she could have won if she had taken. So just to go back to that, I think that that was another reason why I didn't really respect what he anything he had to say because he told me all these different things and then at the end of it, he could have made the decision and we could have been him and I sitting in the end. Yeah, it would have been maybe a harder win, a hard a harder win, but it would have meant more to win against me than to sit there against Albert and Sophie and then to lose after all of that to lose to them because he just couldn't he just couldn't deliver the final message the final like you know nail in the coffin or whatever however you want to look at it so he poisoned the jury himself uh, i know he blamed me for it saying somehow that like i got in everybody's head and i was like no coach bad coach bad like i wasn't with them the whole time you know coach was with them the whole time if he really had this great relationship with them, they would have been, they still would have voted for him. So I think I just gave more voice to what they were all thinking. I, I can't remember even my question to him, but I know it was a supreme softball. I was like, yo, you, you could win or lose this right here. Just tell the truth. It's all you got to do. Everybody wants to hear it straight from your mouth and you couldn't do it, you know? So look, I've forgiven him for all the shit talking he, he said after the fact, I just still feel like it's just so I have regret for that. I have such regret that he didn't let us really have that supreme battle at the very end because it could have been so cool. It could have been so cool. Yeah. I mean, I also, I mean, I think you would have won and, and it would have been wonderful. I mean, in any scenario, I'm just glad the coach did not win. Uh, I'm yeah. not the biggest coach fan, yeah. um, but I want to transition to Micronesia. But before we do, I just want to pause on season 20 heroes versus villains. Uh, it's quite odd that you are not a part of heroes versus villains, mainly because, you know, what we were saying earlier about um, game changers, how few game changers there are on that season there are the the divide of who is a hero, who is a villain is quite strange. And then you get people like Candace, who are neither hero nor villain, just don't deserve to be there. And what's so odd, particularly about you not being there, is you are such a survivor hero. Like, literally, I mean, there are even people that are on, you know, Amanda, for instance, who are really well-liked within the survivor fan base, but I don't necessarily know if she could be considered a hero. And I just think the I24 are literally the blueprint of heroism within survivor were you approached about heroes versus villains i was i was i don't know what or why it fell through in that way 
especially because Co- was coach on that season? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I'm not sure what what their rationale was to play him, and then because we've then played together not long after that. That was 20, and then we played on 23. So I went through most of the process. I was there. I was. I had probably up to the point of like gathering my wardrobe together. I've done everything. Fill, filled out all of the the back. I mean, you you have to do the, the process is long and. It takes a few months to go through it. And I, we were like at, almost at the home stretch. And they're like, hey, we're going to go in a different direction. But they're like, but, you know, maybe in a, you know, you, you figured I was going to play again at some point later on. So it was a weird choice. I don't know why. I'm not sure why. Maybe just because they wanted to give me an opportunity against coach or I, I don't, I don't really know. That's the thing that you can't really understand the way that their production mind works. I probably... They probably have 10 seasons laid out ahead of time that they're just kind of like putting people, oh, let's play this person up here. We'll play this person down here. You know, so they're, they're constantly juggling stuff and, you know, they, they make decisions at the last moment and bring people in or like get rid of people. So, but again, just like, I'm actually kind of like, sorry, I was going to say Candace, Candace. I just like, it just makes no sense. JT. JT. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I always love JT. He's he's a he is a he is a funny guy. He's fun to be around camp. But Candace, I agree with you on that. Like I don't, I don't. I mean, what did she do in Cook Islands? About really anything? Mutiny. Yeah, and that's that was it. about it. Yeah, yeah, truly. So let's talk about Micronesia. I have to say, as I mentioned, I finished thirty four seasons of Survivor now, um, and by far my favorite season is Micronesia. I think wow. many fans would agree with that. Uh, just all, from the gameplay strategy, from the quality of player strategy, I also think it introduced a lot of new players that actually went on to uh, be very entertaining. Particularly uh, Natalie Bolton, who I think should have been brought back again and was not. Um, and I'm just curious, you know, there's this Black Widow Brigade that emerged from that season, and you, as mentioned earlier, were one of their first victims, and then, you know, Eric famously was a huge victim of them, and I imagine at the time you had some resentment towards them, particularly Amanda, as you mentioned, who literally turned on you uh, and sent you packing, and yet, all these years later, this group of women is regarded as some of the most, like, uh, just fearless game players and strategizers to ever play the game. How has your perception of them changed in seeing how much the fans not only responded to them then, but continue to regard that final four as just being one of the best of all time? Oh, I mean, I, I, I will give credit where credit's due and they deserve it. You know, they did a, an amazing job. I was sort of like one of the first dominoes to fall and it was very easy for them to, I mean, it wasn't easy necessarily, but they had great chemistry and oh man i i just it was an honor to even be able to play with them because like i didn't i didn't i didn't continue to ha- i didn't have any resentment towards amanda because i was just so in the dark and so like love struck that i didn't think that she was responsible for you know getting me out and i didn't really you know i guess parvati was the only one that i could really blame because she let you know she took the credit um, and that was fine, but you know, I think they played an amazing game. You know, they did such a great job, and I, I still think that that was just such an awesome, like the move with Eric was was, you know, it was iconic. 
It was really iconic. It was one of the best moves in Survivor history. Basically, just being able to talk him out of the game, you know, it was it was incredible. Um, so I, I do think that they are they deserve to be held in, in that high standard for sure. Agreed. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that Amanda sort of told you after you found out after the fact that she was the one that orchestrated your blind side. I'm just wondering, how did you find that out? Um, did like did you carry on a relationship with Amanda after the fact? Is that how you found out? Can you yeah. shed any light on yeah. that? Oh, yeah. This was... I'm leaning in. Yeah, so th- <laughs> this was years later. So after the game was over, I mean, we were immediately, like, together. Day 40, you know, we were... We were hanging out at Ponderosa, and it was actually, if you want to know some real gossip, um, yes. I, had a girl, I had a girlfriend. Hmm. I was with, I, was, I had a girlfriend. I went out to play Survivor with a girlfriend, and I was ready for that relationship to be over, but I was like, oh, I'm going out to play Survivor. Like, I, you know, I was the same girlfriend I had when I went out to play Cook Islands. Our relationship was kind of rocky and kind of on its way out, but... You know, I, on the plane ride, we we're at the airport on our way to go to uh, Micronesia. I saw Amanda and I was like, I just like zeroed in. I was like, yes, sweet. I saw, I'd seen her play in China and I was like, this girl is beautiful. Miss Montana, like, oh my God, I'm going to, whatever I can do to get on her side, on her, on her tribe. I was like, I'm, I'm going to do what I can to, to make this happen. So I dug myself into a, a deep pit and, um, of course I let my, my hormones and my, you know, everything else lead the way when I probably should have been a little more head in the game. So yeah, we, we, on the plane ride home, so I don't think I told her about my girlfriend. I was like, look, I, I got to tell you something. Um, my girlfriend is going to be waiting to pick me up at the airport and we need to, I, I'm going to have to go and break up with her. And, you know, of course, my girlfriend picks me up. We go home. We were living together. We get home. And I'm like, look, you got to sit down. Uh, I have something I need to tell you. I broke the news. Definitely got slapped. And, um, you know, Amanda and I, we tried to carry on a relationship after that for maybe six, eight months, maybe a little bit longer. And it just never quite worked. There was the passion of the island, the jungle love, the, like, you know, stranded on, you know, fighting our way for a million dollars was amazing. And I, I just didn't see that our, you know, our, our personalities didn't really sync up correctly. It didn't really, it didn't end up working out. So we kind of broke up. I did some questionable things and, you know, we, our relationship fizzled out. When I really think about it, and I was an asshole and I, I, I should have been more open to, my feelings with her at the time, but I was more just like, I, I kind of liked the excitement of, of maybe this like storybook, this storybook affair of me falling in, Amanda and I falling in love with each other and then having this great relationship and coming back and be like, we're getting married on live TV and blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, we're gonna be like Boston Rob and Amber. And it just never really worked out that way. And so I got back and I, I still had these strong feelings for her, but you know, she didn't end up winning. And I'm not saying that I had everything to do with it. It didn't at all, but it just kind of like, it put so much stress on our relationship and then it never worked out. So anyways, to long story short, she didn't tell me. She had not told me then. It wasn't until a few years after that, 
because we were living in LA and our lives kind of like were in orbit around each other. And we ran into each other somewhere and we started to date each other again. And it wasn't until then that we like gone out one night and we were like hanging out and probably were making out or something. And she's like, I need to tell you something. You're going to hate me. And that's when she proceeded to tell me that, you know, however many three years before, it was actually her that had created this, you know, situation and that she, she regrets not taking credit for it. And I was, I, I feel for her because I really think that that was such a big disappointment for her, for me. And it could have been, maybe everything would have changed if she had just been honest. And it just kind of goes back to this like idea of honesty, you know, like, like hiding, hiding from the truth that those, in those moments, like it ends up just creating such a weird energy. And so, yeah, it was just, it was sad. It was really sad. But also I was just like, man, you should have just told everybody. Like I would have, everybody would have been so into that. Yeah, I'm just wondering what it's like to be back together and, and, you know, just to be living your lives so out of the survivor verse, and then all of a sudden to be given this news that fundamentally changed the trajectory of your life. Had that vote not happened, you had a really good shot of going forward. Who knows what would have happened? Uh, who, who knows if Parvati could have gone on to win and, and all of the, the things that spun out from there. In that moment, you say you had, it sounds like you had compassion for her in that moment, but in the immediate, was there any part of you that was just like, what the fuck? When I got voted out? No, when she told you all these years later. A little bit. It was more just, I was just, it was just, I was so incredulous. I was like, I just couldn't believe that she wouldn't just come out with it. And I... You know, I was just, it was wild. It was really wild. I could not believe it. And I wish that she just told the truth then um, because I know that she would have, you know, something would have changed. You know, maybe it would have been a closer tie uh, or it would have been closer to a tie. Maybe, maybe she would have got at least one more vote. I don't even know. I don't even know. But I, I was just blown away by that. It, it definitely shifted a lot of like my sort of, the way that I played, I, I wanted to take that into consideration because I know that it always happens to couples, you know, when you go into Survivor and you have this like hots for somebody or you couple up or you even flirt too much or whatever, you know, it ends up biting you in the ass almost always. You know, there's only a few, very few players that have been able to somehow start a relationship and then continue a relationship. Very few. Rob maybe is like one of the one of the anomalies in that. And they're still together. So that obviously was, you know, meant something to them. Yeah. Yeah. So we spoke about poverty. So now I want to go back to your very first season, Cook Islands, yeah. uh, which is, again, speaking of iconic seasons, I would say if Micronesia is my favorite, Cook Islands is definitely up there. Uh, such a good season. Um, and it's just so fun because there are so many people to root for. One of the things I feel about a lot of the later seasons that I've been watching lately um, is I just it's really hard for me to suss out characters that I want to win, um, especially in those early 30s seasons that I just you know powered through. Uh, just so many villains, so few heroes. But I want to ask you about Parvati because Parvati is kind of a non-entity in Cook Islands. I remember when I first watched season 12, everyone was like, oh, you're going to meet one of the most famous players in the game this season. And I was just like, well, where is she? 
Um, but then I come to watch Micronesia and Heroes versus Villains, and I learn about the legend that she is. I'm curious what it's been like for you watching Parvati's trajectory, having played with her two times, um, but watching her trajectory within the Survivor verse, particularly remembering back to the Cook Islands days, did you have any idea that like this would be that this would be the path for Parvati and that she would become such a legendary player of the game? No, I had no idea that she would she would go on to play again or anything because I didn't really have a lot of chance to hang out with her or get to know her at all. It wasn't until we merged that, you know, we were together and really there was only one reward that we went on. It was Parvati and Yule and I went on this really awesome reward and we got to hang out together. And honestly, I think the only reason why I wasn't susceptible to her incredible charms or was because I had that girlfriend at the time back at home. So I was like trying to put up that wall because she's magnetic. You know, she's a magnetic personality. She's beautiful. She's funny. You know, she's bubbly personality. She's like, you know, she can get, she can get you wrapped around guys or girls can get you wrapped around her finger. She just has that going for her. We also at that point, Yule, Sundra and Becky and I, we had formed such a tight group that there was really nothing that I just couldn't see myself going against that. It just didn't make any sense to me at all. Didn't make strategic sense. I had like kind of a sure, like I knew these people had my back, even within the final four, that there was a chance that maybe they were trying to vote me out, but I just didn't really care. I was like, I'm just gonna stick with them because this is what, you know, we, we flipped the odds, but yeah, I could see how Parvati just in the little bit that we played with each other, you know, I could see how she was so magnetic. And then to go back and play Micronesia to be, to be, uh, you know, I severely underestimated her. I severely underestimated her uh, because of the fact, you know, because I, I don't really think I, I gave her enough credit in Cook Islands that once we did play together in Micronesia that I didn't really understand the degree to which she, you know, she had it in her to really be an amazing game player. Not only, not only in, with, uh, you know, the strategic game, but her physical game is incredibly strong as well. You know, she's got, she's got, you know, this like really deep yoga training, which is one of the best things you, you could ever do. If you ever want to play Survivor and you really want to be good at Survivor, do a fuck ton of yoga. Um, if you're really good at yoga, you're going to do, you're going to have a chance to do a lot better at some of these really hard, you know, like keeping your arm above your head challenges. Um, so I'm actually pretty impressed with her trajectory and how she went from fifth place. I think it was fifth or sixth place to then just doing so well. So when we think about the Cook Islands, I feel like the first thing that pops into everyone's mind is the controversy around the casting and uh, well not necessarily the casting but the pitting of the tribes against each other based on race and ethnicity and you know you mentioned before I think it actually did great things for the casting things that uh, should have maintained throughout uh, all of these seasons and, and which unfortunately went away but I'm curious when you first found out about how the tribes were going to be divided and what your initial reaction was on the entire concept of the season. I mean, I thought it was really cool. I thought it was a great, 
you know, the way that they worded it, they worded it so it ended up being a little bit controversial just to get a lot of eyes. It was, you know, basically clickbait back then, you know, just let's get create some controversy. But I thought it was awesome. You know, I was cast. The only reason why I was cast is because of it. They were looking for a non-stereotypical Latino. And they wanted a, like, surfer, skater, Mexican guy or whatever. It could have been any Latino any of the Latinx uh, world, but it's the only reason why I got cast. The only reason. I mean, maybe maybe in another season, maybe I would have made it. Uh, who knows? Maybe I would have, but I feel like it's the only reason why I got cast, and I'm sure it's the only reason why, you know, at least 75% of the other cast members got cast. So I'm glad that they've, you know, kind of come to... Re, you know, are going to try and reconcile the casting um, and going forward. I'm super excited to see what happens in you know next year, uh, this fall when 41 and 42 come out because I think they've got a great opportunity now to really capture much more viewership, more of a you know more diverse audience. Just really show like you know get it a little closer to what America actually looks like. Um, right. So you know, I was all for it. I thought it was a I thought it was a great job. And I just feel bad that I kind of like made such a stupid rookie mistake and throwing a challenge and getting Billy voted out, you know, for no reason, really. It was, it was so stupid and I feel so bad. And it's just, I to this day regret it. And I wish that I hadn't, cause he was such a huge fan and he could have been such an ally. He could have been such a, like, he, he could have been the kind of person that like, he could have really changed the game in another way, even though like I got second, like, I don't know. I just regret it. I really do. It was a rookie move, and it was just—it was something that somebody who's never watched Survivor does. Don't feel too bad. He—he yeah. he left with the gift of love. He did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hashtag free Britney, hashtag justice for Billy. Um, <laughs> you mention the new mandate that is going into effect. For those that don't know, it is a mandate across all of CBS uh, for diversity inclusion, meaning that oh. all casts for their reality television series will have to be 50% POC effective immediately. As a result of that, the cast of season 41 had to actually be recast to make it so that there was 50% POC. Currently, season 41 is being filmed, if not wrapped, and season 42 will be uh, filming shortly. I'm curious uh, what your thoughts are. I mean, you mentioned the fact that you think it's, it's a really great idea. I'm particularly interested in the fact that in Cook Islands and Fiji, the season that followed your season, which was also... Uh, I think majority POC, you're able to strategize with people like you. And one of my frustrations in watching so many of the seasons play out is how often black people, particularly black women, are voted out early. It just seems like it happens so consistently. And as a result of the show casting so few POC, they are so often tokenized on that show and do not have other allies within the game. One of the big conversations that takes place in season 21, Nicaragua, is that they try and form an alliance of minorities early on in the game to try and stick together just because they had three people of color on their tribe and that was such a rarity how do you think the game is going to change as a result of poc people not being the minority from the outset i think that completely shifts uh this game in which more often than not we see poc people going out very early in the game yeah i think so you're you're talking about nicaragua is that that's the season that naonka's on right yes <laughs> yeah i loved her so much i love that- I can't believe she quit, but, um, but still, I thought that, you know, that just to me, she was just such a fiery, amazingly just, 
you know, she spoke her mind. She was so cool. And, you know, her, her character, who she was, like, I wanted her to win so bad. You know, I just thought she was so great. I would love to see her come back. I think she's so cool. Um, Period. Yeah. Um, you know, I had definitely had a big crush on her. And just to answer your question, I just think it's even like just saying like, oh, P it has to be half POC. It's like, like, why does it have to be like, it, it should be probably more than that. You know, it should probably be more than that. But that's a great start. Let's start there. Let's let this let, let it happen in, in a more organic way. Um, and I think that we're going to see, you know, we're, hopefully we're going to see hope we're going we're going to see it really reflect in how people get voted out and how you know people are able to continue in the game because i think that you're exactly right i just think that it's always been really easy for players to you know everybody looks the same let's all stick together oh this person's like a little different like we don't really well, we don't have a lot in common like you know cuz things get really tribal really quickly, you know, obviously it's, right. you know, nature of the game and that just kind of happens naturally. So it, it, the, the producers just putting people at such a disadvantage by, by only casting a few members that are in the minority in that way, because it just, it just, people get marginalized, just like what happens in, you know, everyday America, you know, you, if you've ever been to a, a school or been to a, a, a you know, any, large function where you're the only one and like this type of person like everyone else is going to be kind of like scared of you or not want to like engage with you too much and it's just exactly what's the microcosm of of the united states so i think more and more the the inclusion i think is going to make the the game the show just so much better I completely agree. Okay, so now we just have some general questions about the game uh, yeah. to throw at you. One of the things I'm really interested in is the quality of the challenges changing. Especially, I went back, there's a YouTube video of you competing in all of your challenges in Cook Islands. And I was just thinking, having just watched Game Changers, there was just, for me as a viewer, the challenges were just so much more creative in the early seasons. And there was a lot more ingenuity to the challenges themselves. How was your experience different from the uh, maybe like the Cook Islands Micronesia days to the South Pacific Game Changers days in terms of the quality of the challenges, especially from you as someone who is such a perceived as such a not perceived as is a such a physical threat? Yeah, I think that it. I hear exactly what you're saying, and I I agree, and I just think that's a function of budgets and them wanting to make you know stretch their dollars and their their profits as far as possible. So you can see these extravagant challenges that, I mean, Survivor used to pick up and move every season to a new location and they would send out, you know, this giant crew of people that would build these big challenges. And so they'd show up and they'd already be built. They'd already have everything done. And now they're like reusing, they're reusing a lot of the ideas, a lot of the same location. Obviously they're in the same location every single year now. Um, and they're just trying to spread, you know, spread the money as, as far as possible. I mean, I think it's even a shit. You, you can see that in like the fact that they don't do a fan favorite, a hundred thousand dollar fan favorite anymore. You know, I think that's a big, that's a shame, you know, cause I think that also shifts how people play the game. You know, if you knew that you're not, if you knew you're going to at least maybe make that, it might spice up your game. You might talk a little more free and candid. You might be a little more of this like wild zany character. Um, you might do things you normally wouldn't do. So 
I just feel like the, the, the budget has been the big constraint to that. And unfortunately, I do think it affects those challenges. The, the guy that's in charge of challenges is the same guy that has been there the entire time, almost, John Kierhofer, and he's an incredibly talented guy. And I know that he would love to do these big, crazy things if he could. I just think they're probably not able to because I don't think that they've got the budget that they used to have. Um, I think they're getting squeezed. And, you know, if we have to, uh, you know, accept that as part of what Survivor is now to let Survivor keep going, then I'm prepared. You know, I think that that's a that's a pretty fair compromise. But, you know, the the challenges that I played in and Cook Islands and even South Pacific, which is so much fun and so awesome. And then Game Changers is a little more of this like hokey kind of like parlor game, like a uh, carnival game, like, you know, throw the throw the ball into the, you know, into the basket. It was like, all right, it's not really and that. so many puzzles. Yeah, and the puzzles, yeah. Like, I'm usually pretty good at puzzles, too. But I hear you, you know, the, the, the big, like, fun obstacle courses with a couple puzzles and that, they're, those are so cool, and I really love those. And, again, like, yeah, when you have to do, like, a, something a little bit challenging and then you just have to, like, throw a thing around a hook or, like, throw it, like, get the thing, you know, just as... It gets annoying, so I hope that they, I hope they put some more em- emphasis on, uh, on on giving new energy to that because that would be great. It really would be. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that the great thing about some of the early challenges, the early seasons in terms of their challenges, was that not everybody was going to be good at every challenge. It was testing different things. Some were testing endurance. Some were testing athleticism. Some were testing uh, mental ability and it would be really rare for somebody to be able to do a run on all of those challenges. Uh, and then when we had someone like you in Cook Islands who was able to do that, then it's like impressive. And, and that's when Challenge Beast meant something, uh, at least to me. I wanted to ask a question about something else that may have changed over the course of many seasons, and that's uh, Jeff Probst. So you have played with or for Jeff, however we're phrasing that, uh, over the course of 18 seasons. I think uh, the viewers have seen a change in Jeff, both on screen and off screen. Obviously he became the executive producer uh, sometime around the time that you uh, were first playing, but he's also sort of honing his hosting skills. I think we've seen him do really well in situations like the Varner tribal uh, outing Zeke uh, and things like that. So I'm just curious what your perception has been on Jeff's evolution. You know, I think I think Jeff's done a great job evolving. You know, he's been an example of somebody that he's been doing this now for 20 years and he's seen a lot of like really moment, momentous changes. And I think he's done a good job with rolling with it and adjusting and keeping the game fair and honest whenever whenever issues come up. I mean, we've had things from like the Me Too moment, which has has impacted Survivor to, you know, like like you said, with uh, with Zeke. I think that um, as as he's grown and his skills have gotten better, I think that he does he does do a pretty good job. And I. You know, I think that people, you can criticize him all day, but if you just look at what he's actually accomplishes and has accomplished over the last 20 years, you know, at the helm of this incredible show, you know, I don't think that you can, uh, you just gotta, you gotta give him credit where credit's due. 
and again, he is a product of where he came from. He's he's from the Midwest. I think he's in his 50s now. So he does have a certain viewpoint, but he all the time he talks about wanting to be held to a really high standard. And when we're at tribal councils, he talks about how, you know, if he's saying something that maybe if he's approaching uh, his questioning in a way that's unfair or a way that's maybe targeting somebody or singling somebody out or whatever, he's like, look, I, I'm not perfect. I'm going to do the best job I can, but it's up to you guys to hold me accountable. Use me as your tool. You can point me in, in a direction. You know, you can give me little clues and send me on a rabbit hunt trying to find this information or whatever. So I think he's very, uh, very honest with us and he lets us, you know, kind of help help use him to dictate our own games. And I think savvy players, players that are good, they know how to use Jeff uh, as a tool. They know how to use Jeff as a weapon. They know how to use Jeff as a, as a uh, you know, to their advantage as much as possible. The people that get pissed off at him, you know, maybe like, yeah, maybe he fucks up sometimes, just like all, we all do. But I think that he does a pretty damn good job trying to make right, trying to do right by the cast. And at the end of the day, he just wants it to be the best possible show he could possibly make. So, you know, I, I've been pretty impressed with his, his evolution. Of course, he could do more, but, you know, there's, there's only... Uh, he's probably got bosses that are, you know, telling him he's got to do this, that, and the other. And he's probably pushing against that. So I just hope that he keeps letting the game evolve. And I would love to see things like, you know, we've... We've talked about inclusion and people of color and, you know, getting the m more diversity within the survivor uh, family and on who's on the cast. And, you know, something that, as Evan, you know, that I've kind of taken a, a, a new career path. I think that there's an opportunity for, you know, sex workers or other marginalized people to have a little more of a voice on this show that is so popular in the United States and you know whenever we can have conversations around you know sex race gender you know what we do for work how we make money what we our livelihoods I think it's a good thing so Survivor has in the past been pretty good about like okay let's uh, let's let's have this person on and let's you know let's let there be a conversation in you know around the water tank or whatever people say in the offices and, and whatnot so I have high hopes that Survivor is going to continue to evolve as long as we let it and keep watching it. I like that optimism. Let me ask you this. You are a big fan of the survival aspect of Survivor and the challenges, whereas there are some players that come out there and they really like the strategizing and the conniving. I remember that one of Colby's big complaints about heroes versus villains in coming back for season 20 having played season two was he felt like that that aspect of the show the survival aspect was beginning to go away he even commented at one point saying that you used to be able to walk around and explore the island or whatever he was in season two the australian outback he was able to go off and explore the land and then when he came back for heroes versus villains there were really strict parameters in terms of where people could go and I'm curious from your perspective, having played these seasons again with all of this distance in between them, whether or not you feel like some of the survival aspects of the show that you first loved, I mean, for instance, you famously climbed that tree right, right when you arrived at the island and knocked down all those coconuts for your tribe. Do you feel like that aspect of the show has gone away at all? Yes and no. I think that 
at certain times it's 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 definitely they it's not as much of an issue i mean to be honest you're in paradise and it's not that hard to survive like there's there's a lot of food i mean you're not going to you're not going to starve to death um you're certainly not going to go thirsty the conditions are not that bad it's pretty it's a pretty idyllic place to be um, I'd love to see a little bit more for sure. I would love to see it. Be, I'd love to see it be a little bit harder on people. I'd love there to be a little more challenge to it. Um, I do think that would make it better. I think that that would push people to, you know, be a little more raw and gritty and more, you know, expose a little more of the like inner nature of themselves. Um, so yeah, I would like to see that because sometimes, you know, you, you, you get, people get rationed rice and they have food and it's just not as, yeah, you're a little, you're hungry, but you know, you're not like whittling away. Um, so I, I don't know. I do think that that, that would be cool if they could somehow bring a little more of that. But you know, I also, as, as I've evolved, I, if I ever do get to go back and play again, like I know that I would play a much different game. Like I, my game would be more geared towards really trying to, shore up the social game that I feel like has always lack, been lackluster for me. And really being a little more of, you know, just not being as excited to get away from everybody and go diving on these beautiful reefs. Like I can go do that in my spare time. Like for me, I would like to see a little more of that, but I also understand that it's not necessarily what it's not the only thing that drives the show and it shouldn't be the only thing that drives the show. The show has multi, it's multifaceted. So, but to keep people honest and to keep people hungry and struggling and, and, and out there really like having to, you know, use their wits to, to stay strong and stay, you know, stay, stay together as a tribe. I, I think that that is really important. Okay, we just have a couple more questions for you, Ozzy. Cool. Uh, really broad one here. You can give me a few answers if you want, but in your estimation, we've talked about a lot of great players and you're one of them, but let's take you out of the equation. Who do you think is the best player of all time? Damn. Not Brad Culpepper. (laughs) (laughs) No, not Brad Culpepper. Who is the best player of all time? Gosh. I mean, is it by default a two-time winner, or is there more to it? I mean, I think so. Yeah, I think it is. It, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be able to answer the question because I can't think that quickly about all the different people that I love to watch. Um, but I think you know, it it kind of has to be. It kind of has to be a winner, um, somebody who has won, and somebody that has, you know, able to also get super far again (sighs) when i think about survivor and i think about you know having a physical game having the survival aspect having a strong um social game having that awareness you know there's there's not that many people that i feel like can do it all and people like natalie who i thought did a great job and just kind of didn't what she just got really unlucky in the beginning of that season. But a lot of the people that played on uh, on season 40 on Winners at War, uh, I think that there's a couple people on there that, you know, are worth mentioning. And it's not only the fact that they've won, but the fact that they have interesting things to say and that they have really cool commentary and that they're funny and that they 
have a great outlook on life and that they're, you know, I really enjoy Tyson, for example. I think that he's, you know, one of those people that I look up to as a, as a pretty strong player and, a, and somebody that does great in challenges. He's physical, he's funny, he's got good wit. Um, people like Natalie, people like Michelle. But then, of course, then there's somebody like Sari that hasn't ever won, but it's only not necessarily, she just got super unlucky. So I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you have? Well, I'm just glad this was really a skill testing question for you to see if you stand the same people we do. And, and uh-huh. you named you named a few of them. Oh, you, sure. know? you named Natalie. That was, that was good. Love Natalie. Yeah. Love Natalie. I tend to go straight to Sandra as, you know, our first two-time winner. Yeah. Uh, of course, we were going to get another two-time winner with Winners at War. That's by default. But Sandra did it with an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she just so effortlessly plays that social and and under-the-radar game and yet is able to control votes, much in a similar way to Sari. So love her. I think Michelle really showed why she deserved to be there on Winners at War. Yeah. So she's a, a big modern player for me. So. I got a big crush on her too, so. She's Love beautiful. Michelle. But I also think, I mean, Yule, I think is really worth mentioning, not only because you played against him, but I think that what I've noticed, especially in these later seasons, I hate the male, like, guys with the big machismo. So, like, your Mike winners, your Tony winners, I do not like them. I have a really visceral reaction to men that just come in and, like, pound their chest. And I feel like Yule is a great example of, like, Yule is someone worth looking up to. He is a good example for people about not only how to play the game of Survivor, but how to be as a human being. I'm not saying every player on Survivor needs to be that, but I just have a lot of respect for Yule, and he made he brought like a classiness to the game that don't get me wrong, I, I need my like messy players as well. But I think Yule, and then I don't know if any, I don't know if you'll remember her even, but like Kathy from um, Marquesas and who returns for All Stars. Do you remember her by chance? Kathy. She's kind of forgotten in Marquesas. Blonde, middle-aged lady. No, I don't. She's a forgotten legend, but she's among my favorites that I think needs to come back. I feel like, you know, even in watching Game Changers and seeing that the only returning players from seasons 1 through 11 were Sandra and Jeff Varner, I feel like the old school seasons of this show do not get enough respect. I feel like Cook Islands really is like the beginning point for so many people, and no disrespect to Cook Islands, which we love, but I need more love on the early seasons. Africa, Marquesas, Thailand, there's so many. Um, Okay, but just a couple last questions as you mentioned you have this wonderful OnlyFans. for those of you listening that want even more of ozzy you don't want to miss out i cannot speak enough good things and there's fucking and we just got to say that because no sorry we have to say it because there's so many of these people out there that say they have an OnlyFans. some survivor players even and you know you'll get like some titillating photos but it's not enough what other survivors players have OnlyFans? i thought i was the only one well michael michael yerger i don't know who that is I don't know who he's, he is either. Yeah. <laughs> what season he's, is he? He on? was like he was 18 years old on Ghost Island. Huh. But he's not fucking apparently. It's just right. you know. Well. Yeah. So anyway, but with that he's in mind, he's just hot. That's it. Fair. We like a hot player. But okay. So when you and I last spoke for our paper profile, I asked you if you were to film an OnlyFans with a former Survivor 
contestant, who would it be? Your answers were Julie Berry from Vanuatu and the iconic Elizabeth Filarski, um, or as she's known to many, Elizabeth Hasselbeck from Survivor, the Australian Outback. Which is the only right answer. <laughs> yes, like extremely iconic. It made me know I was like, okay, Ozzy is my people. Um, but I want to flip that question a little bit. If you were to film an OnlyFans with a male Survivor player, who would be that player and or players? <laughs> Oh my God! I should have known that you were going to ask me this. I should have known, and I don't know. I don't know if you're ready for the answer. Oh, I think I'm ready. I mean, would you like, would you like to guess? Would you like to guess one? What I give you? I give you each one guess. It's someone I've played with before. Oh, someone you played with. Okay, because I was going to say my guess, and this is a problematic guess. Um, but my guess was going to be Joe, just because I would the problematic person <laughs> in me would like to see that. Sorry. No, it's okay. Um, okay, wait. Someone. Okay, oh, someone. Someone, someone you've, you've someone you've played before who I would like to see you film with yeah. is James. Oh, wait, hey, James, one hundred percent, James. We're getting, we're getting, we're getting. There a you signal. go, James. If you're listening, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you're not, <laughs> I hope he's not listening. But you know, no, funny, he's digging a grave somewhere. The only, the only reason why I would want to film with Joe is just because of the same sort of like opposites attract dichotomy. Like the right wing exactly. Republican Elizabeth Hasselbeck would, you know, she's yeah. got that kind of like southern oh, yeah. whatever. That that was why. I mean, I don't even know if she's hot anymore. But but no, I mean, I, if we were just going off of pure looks, baby, I mean. I don't think there is a person who's ever played Survivor that is more physically fit and let's just be honest, beautiful to look at than James. I really don't. I really don't. Completely, completely aligned. Yeah. Um, we spoke about her earlier, Amanda. I am just curious. You know, you mentioned that you rekindled this romance at one point several years ago. Uh, when was the last time that you spoke to Amanda Kimmel? Where is Amanda Kimmel? I'm pretty sure that she's married with kids in maybe Montana. I think she moved back to Montana, found herself a good good husband and is doing the, just making babies and, and I mean, who knows? I, I have not talked, I've not spoken to her probably since not long after we tried to rekindle things seven, eight years ago. Yeah. Hmm. I wish she'd come back. If I had to guess, yeah, it would be great to see her come back. She probably looks phenomenal and is probably I know she takes care of herself, uh, but I'm pretty sure she has kids and is married and is living a, you know, a quiet life in the boonies somewhere. Fair. Okay, last question. Jeff calls you and says, Ozzy, season 43, are you going? Yeah, of course. Of course. Of course. Play till you win. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's, it's the greatest <laughs> game that's ever been created. It's the greatest game ever played. You know, until there's... I don't know what what's going to be better than that, but it, it's it's so much fun, and I would I will always say yes, even if I've won, and I, you know, I would still I would still love to go out and play. I also think if you if you were to return, you know, you mentioned earlier that you want the show to be casting more sex workers, and I think now that your career has taken this turn, there's also the opportunity to use you being back in the game to actually like create a platform for yourself, but also for other sex workers, and be able to normalize for so much of this audience that. 
is very right-wing or perhaps is not uh, prone to discussing sex. That's not to say they are not looking up sex because these are the people that are, they are enjoying the content, but if there's a little bit more of a, you know, they have, they feel a certain way about it in their minds. There's an opportunity to sort of untangle that for people and show them that this player who you love, Ozzy, is also a sex worker. The sex workers are among us. They are human beings. They play Survivor. They, they can win competitions. They offer so much to the world. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I would I would hope if anything comes out of this, you know, that that could be a great conversation to have. And I think that I've been surprised in the past by the producers. So I think that they, you know, they could surprise. Maybe it won't be next year. Maybe it'll be the year after. I mean, maybe it'll be Survivor season 50. Who knows? Who knows? But I think more and more, the more questions or the more, the more we talk about things like sex and drugs and all of the things that you, you know, we, we, we repress as Americans, the better it is for all of us. So that's one of the best things about Survivor and it forces these conversations that people, I guarantee you, like with Zeke, for example, that may be the first time that most people have ever even like seen a transgender person that they know of completely, mm-hmm. you know? So, and I think what's great about Zeke is that they were able to see him the season before and fall in love with him. I think that's one of the real great gifts of the show is that you have someone like Zeke who is, I was going to say he's great at the game of survivor. I'll say he's good at the game yeah. of survivor, but he is, you fall in love with him and it's for many people out there. I mean, it happened with Sarah. There are people out there that think they have these biases about people because they've never encountered someone like this before. And I thought one of the greatest gifts I've ever seen survivor give to its audience was Sarah's reaction to Zeke because she was realizing in real time that she grew up around bigotry and had it ingrained in her but she had suddenly realized that she was friends with a trans person unbeknownst to her and she couldn't untangle that love that she had for Zeke from his transness and so suddenly she is accepting of a trans person whether she wants to be or not because she loves a trans person that is an incredible thing that the show was able to do and and I mean I don't see that often on television reality or scripted it that's a moment that stays with you for sure, and I, you know, I hope it continue to happen. I hope that Survivor can continue to push the boundaries and push the conversation, and keep these, uh, you know, these types of things in the forefront of the American public. I think it's it's doing a service. You know, it's providing entertainment, but it can be much more than that. So, completely agreed. Okay, so the very, 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 very last question: the poncho. I believe is it Micronesia, Sean? Micronesia. Yeah. Okay, yeah, the poncho that you wear uh, during multiple, maybe all throughout your your time in the jury, what's the story? It's iconic, it's It's fashion. (laughs) Well, I don't know if, uh, you know, I think I've made it pretty, I've dropped a couple Easter eggs throughout my Survivor survivor career. One of them was in uh, Cook Islands when we had the food auction, and for some reason, I got in my mind that I was going to spend $420 on ice cream. So that was just a Rasta poncho that I happened to have that I was packing my surfboard in. And I honestly didn't bring very many clothes to wear. And I was like, you know, maybe I had a couple of drinks in me. We were getting ready to go out to tribal. And I was like, fuck it, I'm wearing a poncho. So I cut. I was like, I'm embracing my Mexican culture. And I'm showing my little Rasta, like Rasta vibe. So 
I don't know. I just thought it was like a pretty cool thing to do. And, uh, and so, yeah, I just, I cut the poncho and wore it. And I, I, um, uh, I still, I, it was one of my favorite jury outfits I've ever had still. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, there's Miranda Priestley's Cerulean monologue in The Devil Wears Prada, and then there is Ozzy's poncho in Survivor <laughs> Micronesia. Um, yeah, I mean, and what a note to end on. I want to thank you so much. We are going to have so many legendary survivors on this podcast, but there will be none that I love more than you. You are my absolute favorite player to ever, ever play this game. Maybe you and Sandra. Let's yeah, do a tie. Yeah. Um, but and also, I just think it's worth noting, you are such a good person. You are such a thoughtful person. You use your platform for good. You advocate for yourself and for other people. I mentioned this to you last time we spoke, but just like in our first interview, the way you didn't bumble over pronouns when talking about gender nonconforming and non-binary people, you just are so smart and i think that it would be it will be a real gift to people when you return to the show not just for fans of the show like us who are excited to see you back but because you're one of those players that offers more to the game than just the gameplay and that's one of the reasons that i have fucking binged 34 goddamn seasons of this show, even when there are times I fucking hate it. Kara Moen, there are seasons that it just, it's really hard for me to get through, but it's people like you that make the show worth watching. And I just, I want to tip my hat to you. Well, Evan, thank you so much. And uh, not only do I appreciate your kind words, but I expect a couple of drinks when I'm out in New York yes. in a few days. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> many drinks, yeah. a little ganja, yeah. whatever you want. Sean, it was great to meet you. Thank you. And I have to say, I've been helping Evan through his watch of Survivor, but I myself have been watching since I was 14 years old. So it's been a huge part of my life. And it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with a real legend of the game for this podcast. So thank you for talking to us and for being so generous with your time. For sure. You guys are way too kind. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not even going to try to qualify anything, but just besides saying thank you. It did take me a lot of practice to, with my theys and thems and theirs and stuff, though. So I will, I will. I get it, but, you know, you stick <laughs> we'll take the work. Okay, thank you so much, Ozzy. Bye. Okay, that was Ozzy. Evan, what did you think of Ozzy? It's our first... Our first I mean, guest. <laughs> I mean, we just got so much out of him. I feel really lucky in that, you know, not everyone who is good at the game or even interesting on the game of Survivor is going to necessarily make for an interesting interview. Mm-hmm. And I feel confident about the fact that Ozzy really just is as interesting of a human being as he is a character on the game of Survivor. And I really appreciated his insights and also. You know, with some of these people, you kind of worry, like, do you want to, twenty, you know, 10, 15, 20 years later, do you want to be talking about this experience still after, yeah. you know, you've probably been asked all the questions, and he seemed very game to kind of go wherever we wanted, and that was really fun. What did you think? I think it's really cool that he was able to talk about things that happened to him so long ago with such thoughtfulness and nuance for example i'm thinking about what he said about having regrets about throwing the challenge in cook islands to get billy out so early in the game and that he is thinking about that so long after it happened and after playing Survivor so many times he's thinking of really one of the first moves he ever made in the game and thinking about it to the point where he has changed his opinion or perception on it all these years later 
is so exciting and it's exactly what I'm looking for from a survivor contestant somebody who is thinking about their game as much as I'm thinking about it as a viewer totally and I think we both loved hearing about Amanda uh the many details that he offered oh my god (laughs) okay well this is the biggest takeaway for me I love hearing about what happened with Amanda first of all I love hearing you know the gossip about him having a girlfriend already when he met her and everything that happened there there's a lot to unpack but getting to the Aussie blind side and this idea that Amanda claims to be the one who orchestrated or if not orchestrated brought it up first this possibility of voting Aussie out this is really interesting because this is not something that we saw on the show and so I'm wondering how true that is i'm not doubting that amanda told ozzy that that happened right but i'm wondering how accurate it is or to what degree she actually influenced that vote happening or is it a situation where it's like it was just one of many possible scenarios that might have happened and if she did actually make a push to get him voted out then one why didn't we see it and two why did she seem as blindsided as ozzy was by that vote like was she acting in order to i don't know gain favor with the jury or something like we're never going to know the answer and my dream scenario is to talk to parvati or sari or Natalie Bolton. Well, or maybe Amanda. <laughs> yeah, well, that is a dream. I'll keep dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting, though, because you, as you mentioned, like you see things play out one way, and then you hear stuff from someone that was there who portrays a completely different story. Um, and it's interesting to think about how much, and I'm constantly thinking about this, how much we don't see on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if everything he says is true and Amanda was acting, it's like, give her an Academy Award, right? And it's like, (laughs) you wouldn't necessarily think of Amanda, when you think of like the players that are real schemers in the game, I don't think Amanda is someone that really comes to mind, at least top of mind for most people. But if that is the case and everything that Ozzy said is true and she gave that performance that was so believable that it made the prospect, like it makes what he's saying sound like it couldn't be true because it's such a good performance if it's true again, um, it's just really incredible. And it makes you go back and like, it makes me want to rewatch Micronesia again, which is the season I've seen the most, just to, you know, see like, okay, are there hints throughout that did make it into the edit somehow, glances or whatnot, um, that would inform this. I mean, super duper interesting stuff. Yeah, totally. And it's like, I just love Amanda and just give her an Oscar, E got her. Please. Immediately. Yeah, immediately. Um, and one other, one other thing I wanted to point out that I really appreciated and something that I hope that, you know, more of our guests are comfortable with, it's fun getting to hear Ozzy talk shit about Joe. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, I wanted to include the question and I, I think in our minds it was probably going to be something that was cut because I didn't think he was going to... I didn't know he was going to go the direction he went. I figured if nothing else, he wouldn't have a strong opinion about Joe. Mm -hmm. But I did think it was an interesting question, given the fact that Joe is compared to Ozzy so much on the show itself. And it's really, I love the fact that, and I think that this is unique to the Survivor-verse, that you can kind of talk 
crap about another player and that would could actually lead to you know there's a world in which they both play against each other in the game um mm. it like these relationships are still very active or they can be active rather because you know at any time these players can hop back in and as we've seen on just about every returning player season, the dynamics that happen outside of the show in the subsequent years between seasons do factor in to how the returning player seasons play out. And so this, if nothing else, just makes me so excited at the possibility of like an Aussie v. Joe season. I don't know how it would structure out. You know, we can table this, but <laughs> I just like the idea of, it makes me even think of like another conceit, which is like, putting two pairs of players that are kind of seen as like equals. I know that's what they attempted to do with Rob and Russell, but I don't think that their gameplay was at uh-huh. all similar, but mm-hmm. Joe and Ozzy, there's a lot of, a lot in common there. And so anyway, I just appreciate someone who's willing to be as explicit as Ozzy, not even just pertaining to survivor. I just feel like in 2021, people are really careful about talking shit as they should be in many cases. Yeah. But I think when you're dealing with someone like Joe who makes his controversial opinions very loud and very known, it's fun to to, you know, drop him down a peg in my opinion. Well, well what I really learned about Ozzy here that I didn't know about him is that he is political and he makes his politics personal which is really interesting. And I thought it was really interesting to hear about how politics continue to be a factor in the show and in the game, because he said that his politics have gotten him in trouble before in the show. That's something I'm really interested in seeing because we haven't seen politics be a part of the show since like season one or two maybe. I don't know how much I want to see them because there are people that I currently love who I would probably fucking hate if I knew what their politics were. But I just think it's a really interesting idea. And when you're thinking about, like, you know, the Sarah Lucina, Brad Culpepper, MAGA hat story that we heard, that's this whole subplot to that season that nobody ever saw. And I think it's really interesting. And I'm wondering how in 2021 you move forward with a show like Survivor without including politics to some degree because in this time people wear their politics with such pride and it becomes such an inherent part of their identity that i'm wondering how they go forward without including it to some degree but i feel like the fact that they were able to do it through the trump administration tells you that like they can do it i know and what's interesting is like i Referring specifically to Sarah Lucina, I not only is she she I mean she's a Trumper, right? She we've even heard from people that were on um, the season with her that she put on a MAGA hat, you know, as soon as she got to Ponderosa. And what's interesting is she was like the person that I thought had I would say of all the seasons I've watched, probably some of the biggest personal growth I've ever seen from a player in terms of just like having their world rewired. It's an interesting thing as a viewer to grapple with the fact that I was like, oh my God, I'm so like proud of Sarah for like her journey on the show. When then also having to sort of then learn that she's, you know, has these beliefs. But I do want to add just real quick, Ozzy did get political in the season four, excuse me, season four, in his fourth season, the Game Changers reunion, um, when he mentions 
they kind of cut to commercial pretty quickly, but he mentions the fact that like the the country is going, like things are not going well and we need leaders and whatnot. And even uh, they do a big zoom out right before they go to commercial and Brad and Sarah Lucina are both clapping. I thought it was going to be a divisive moment. He framed it in a way that wasn't overtly political, but the implication of what he was saying, especially in the context of when he said it was clearly directed at Donald Trump. I don't know if that read to people like Sarah Lucina, I'm not sure, but he did have like instances in which he made his politics known, but not as explicitly as mm -hmm. in our conversation. And it does make you wonder about a bunch of players' politics. I'm sure there's players that we love very much that if we knew mm -hmm. more about them with regards to their political <laughs> leanings, we would want to know less. Yeah, and I also don't know if I trust Survivor as a television program to present politics to me this is after all a mark burnett production mark totally. burnett avid trump supporter so maybe this isn't necessarily the right vehicle to present politics to me in 2021-2022 agree anyways with that said i hope you really enjoyed this interview i loved talking to ozzy if you have thoughts about anything that ozzy said especially the amanda revelations i would love to hear them our dms are open as always who else do you want us to talk to on this podcast we would love to track people down and ask them your burning questions and what former player would you like to see launch in only fans yes tell us tell us depressing questions that is a very important question okay if you're listening to this on apple podcasts make sure to review and rate this show so that other people can find it tell your survivor friends about it we want to get more people listening and we want to get more people involved in the conversation thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next time bye bye